Hello everybody, we are back for our draft bonus special episodes to kick off the new series of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles and as always I'm joined by my good friend Joe. Back for the draft special. Here we go, yeah. Look, you know, there's lots of news that people will have consumed and discussed already, so we're going to give just drill down into a couple of few interesting points around the draft that we want to talk about briefly, and then we're going to talk about the schedule of next year. Now that the dust is settling a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, first up on the agenda item, Joe, I'm really interested to discuss this with you because we're going to be talking about the Eagles draft in particular a lot of hype surrounding that a lot of the talking heads have given two massive thumbs up for how the Eagles have drafted you're not as convinced though are you well it's not that I'm not convinced right but I think first of all just getting carried away with a draft class is one of the most foolish things that you can do like everyone always reminds people this and always says it but it doesn't stop all the talking heads just kind of like wax and lyrical a draft class can only be properly judged after three years uh, the eagles drafted a grand total of seven players this year combined those seven players have zero minutes experience in the nfl now i know that basically all of them play for georgia if you listen to the hype and laugh about it but aside from that it can go either way there's no slam dunks whatsoever listen to how you know people were talking about how much a slam dunk trevor lawrence was going to be two years ago he's been okay but he's not been a slam dunk. But if you were listening to the talking heads then, he was going to, you know, be Peyton Manning, I'm hard Tom Brady. So look, I think that you have to kind of look at this from a more analytical view, look at it, what they are potentially getting, look at it in terms of the positions that they're covering. But to say, you know, they've drafted this player and this player is going to be good, that's just a fool's errand. Okay, that makes perfect sense to me because I was looking through this list and I was like, where do you think they've whiffed then? Because I was looking at it and I think positionally they seem to have picked a lot of the right players to fit their team, the areas that they want to uh, either keep strong or to push up a little bit more. It's, look, whichever way you look at it, I think the fact that they've got three Georgia players there's at least some chemistry between those players, especially when you've got a defensive tackle and a linebacker who plays at edge. You know, they're familiar with each other. It looked good, but I do completely agree with that as a caveat, which is we do this every year and and look where Tom Brady came from. You know, it's... It, yeah. It really is a bit of a crapshoot when it comes to the draft. I mean, not completely so. We're not saying that it doesn't matter and just pick up anyone, but... There is a major, major difference, and I think we touched on this in a previous episode as well, which is not all teams are equal from a college point of view, and they don't all have the same uh, degree of difficulty when it comes to matchups in their divisions. So one player who looks absolutely phenomenal in college might just really not have had that much competition with the teams that they face and then you walk into the NFL and it is a completely different kettle of fish that's absolutely yeah but you spoke about kind of chemistry there between the Georgia players it's not like they've got two cornerbacks or a cornerback and a safety who are going to have to be you know looking at each other's eyes knowing instinctively where each other are to kind of cover plays defensive tackle linebacker slash edge whatever way that he plays at and then a cornerback as well. So three defensive players there, but they are spread out, and they don't 
necessarily will come to the team with chemistry. I think the with charge, you mentioned the with there. Would any other team have been praised for trading for DeAndre Swift if there wasn't this whole Georgia nonsense that's going on with the Eagles right now? Yeah, I think from a trade point of view, yeah, absolutely right. Would any other team, if they had traded for him, would all the talking heads be talking about how it's a great fit, a great move? DeAndre Swift, let's not forget, basically was outplayed last year by journeyman running back Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams was the best RB for the Lions by a long way last year. And they didn't want to keep him. He's gone. The Lions fought so much of Swift that with their first pick, they went and picked Gibbs from this year's draft. The thing that's confused me the most about the whole Eagle situation is just this, I wouldn't call it hype because it's not hype, but this, I think, unnecessary praise for bringing Swift into the team. I don't see it. I think the big red flag here is that the Lions, who are looking to be ultra competitive this season, you look at their division and say they could win it. So they're looking to go big now and they're letting Swift go. That is not an accident. That is not because they don't have the cap space to keep him if they really wanted to. It's that, as you quite rightly pointed out, he wasn't even close to being the best running back. They've drafted a second running back, which we'll get onto when we talk about the Lions next. So they ultimately think that a rookie is potentially better backup than Swift is. So I don't know why the Eagles are getting that praise. We know that the Eagles use their run game quite heavily. And so maybe I would say from a depth of field point of view, it's not a stupid trade, but it's not one that I'd be going, oh my goodness, it's a phenomenal move. They've put themselves in pole position to run it back. No, no. And actually, while we're on it, the Lions are another draft class that I just wanted to talk to you about. Because basically, where the Eagles have been getting a whole load of this hype, uh, the Lions going into the season before draft, like you say, they were considered potentially a team that's going to be, you know, a divisional winner. They clearly were looking better in the second half of last season. Arguably, you're going to see fade from Green Bay, who are obviously losing Hall of Fame quarterback and... I don't necessarily have much behind that. The Vikings, who are in a bit of a cap situation, so just shedding players at the front and center, and, you know, weren't that convincing last year despite winning the division. And the Bears haven't shown real substantial improvement yet. So, you know, the Lions, I believe, were the bookmaker's favorite. The draft class has got ripped, Charles. I just wanted to kind of talk to you about that, kind of what your initial thoughts were. You've got to break this down. And I think with the draft, it's really super easy because everybody looks at that first round and goes, that is where a lot of your immediate talent that's going to make an impact straight away is typically found in that first round, in that first day. That's what gets all the big hype and the news coverage. And I think if you looked at it objectively, the Lions reached a little for the talent that they felt they needed. So they reached for the gaps that they had in their team rather than looking for the best available talent at the slot that they were drafting. If you look beyond that day one, where I think you you probably would look at the, the two people they drafted and saying, yeah, bit of a reach. I think beyond that, They've drafted very well. And actually, some of those people that they picked up in the second round, I would say, look, if you flip those around, would you still be as annoyed? For example, like getting Branch 
felt like a really big, great pickup for the Lions. If they went Branch first and then picked up Gibbs in the second round, if they flipped that, then you'd go Branch, Gibbs, Laporta, Campbell. Yeah, not bad. And not necessarily any any of those were a big reach. It's just because they reached in the first round that I think they're, they're catching a lot of flack. I don't think this was an awful draft from the Lions. In fact, I actually think it's sort of middling to good. I'm going to challenge that, Charles, and I think I have a different view to you. We mentioned that the Detroit Lions are a team that potentially is going to win their division. And actually, when you look across the whole kind of conference, uh, you look at the quarterbacks who are playing in the NFC. The NFC is there for the taking this year. It's far, far less competitive than the AFC is. So Lions, up-and-coming team, you feel almost that a good draft could almost put them in a kind of Tampa Bay two years ago situation where the roster is just immense. First of all, I'm never, ever going to praise taking a running back in the first round. I know what you're saying about Jack Campbell, whatever, and if you switch that around, I would still have a problem taking a running back as 18th, especially when you're looking to win. So uh, whether Gibbs is good, bad, or indifferent, not happy with it. Then I want to look up the Sam Laporta situation. So the Detroit Lions traded away TJ Hawkinson for a second round pick from the Vikings. It wasn't the same second round pick that they used for this, but basically they've had a net effect here of drafting a rookie tight end. And we know what rookie tight ends are like. They take a few years to cook. They don't come out box fresh, ready to play. And traded away TJ Hawkinson, who, you know, I'm biased, I'm Vikings, but I think most people would agree that he's not in, you know, that top Kittle, Kelsey sphere. No one's saying that. But he's probably in the tier below that. I really think he is. So they've traded away a top tight end and they've basically got a tight end who probably won't be ready for the league yet. Branch, yeah, fine, no problems with that. But So there's two first-round picks. I like the Campbell one, don't like the Gibbs one. Two second-round picks. I like the Branch one, don't like the Laporta one. And then your third-round pick, you know, Broderick Martin, fine. Hendon Hooker, he's a kind of project quarterback. It's not like he's going to be starting in front of Goff. So, and and that's even if he has a good training camp. You know, Goff is still going to be throwing footballs for them. So you feel that, was this the right time to take a developmental quarterback? Now, I know Goff's time is limited, but with the window they're potentially going into with bringing in talent, with that rookie talent right now, I think there's potentially free fine picks and free whiffs with you know what we had as a very good opportunity with with six picks in the first three rounds yeah it's a really interesting way to look at it because i i think we're on the same page with the picks of theirs that we like and those that we're a little bit uneasy about branch we both like campbell we both like i think the really interesting thing with laporta is uh, michael mayer was still on the board when they picked laporta and mayer who is arguably a better blocker might have actually been a better immediate pick for the lions they always say that with a tight end when they're drafted you can have the best hands in the world but if you can't block as a rookie tight end you're not getting on the field first and foremost tight ends have to be able to block and you look at someone like Kelsey someone like Kittle they can still block they might have the best hands for their position in the league but they will still block Kittle loves blocking he eats it up so you're, you're absolutely right like Sam Laporte was taken off the board I was surprised that Kincaid went first I mean Notre Dame's Meyer I've said this previously, I've not had a huge amount of time, as much time as I'd like to follow college football in the past year or so. So, you know, not really in a position to rank every player or anything like that. But but of the players who were on my radar, he was number one. 
not in terms of he should have been number one pick, but in terms of a player who I was excited about, it was Meyer. So for him to go kind of, you know, third, surprising. Yeah. So yeah, so look. I don't hate Hooker, I really though. Feel that- I, I think that's where we maybe do disagree slightly because I actually do look at Goff and I think, look, Hooker definitely won't be starting next season. He won't be on the field unless there's some sort of injury. But I don't think Goff's got much left in him and that kind of developmental quarterback in two, three years' time, he could turn into something. I appreciate that that's a big gamble, but I think the Lions, for the teams that, that the team they're building now, they do need to be thinking, you know, two, three seasons ahead, especially with them sending out players like Swift and bringing in rookies. They're, they're working on that window where we, you know, that we talked about where you want to have rookies on cheap deals that help you get to that kind of Super Bowl territory. I don't know. I think Hooker might be a smart look to the future. doesn't help them this season, but two, three seasons time when they're looking to continue to compete and they've still got some of these rookies on, on cheap contracts. I think he might end up looking like a decent pick. Which might lead us on quite nicely, Joe, to talking about looking back at picks. Yeah, so I think that we'll just touch on this one very quickly. And this is more just to kind of ram home a point about what I was talking about at the start of a pod. Three years out is the best time to look at a draft class. You know, players have had a chance to get used to the playbook. They've had a chance to stake a claim for positions if they weren't, you know, drafted to fill a need. And I think that if you look back on the 2020 draft class right now, I think it gives you an idea of just how little certainty there are with players. Yeah. So this was a the draft class, of course, where Joe Burrow was the first pick. A good way of judging, really, if a player has been successful is whether the team has taken their fifth-year option up or signed them to a larger deal. If they have done that, then, you know, arguably, yep, they've been a success there. If they haven't and they've been a first-round pick, well, something's gone wrong, really. So... You look through that class, and, and I'm not going to go through every player here, but let's just start off with the top five. And you you really would expect top five picks, how people talk about top five picks, how everyone gushes over top five picks. And, you know, the Raiders weren't picking him a top five, so it's not like we've got a third round pick sneaking <laughs> away into the top five. But Burrow, fifth-year option taken up. No surprises there. Chase Young, second pick. Everyone talking about him as a, you know, almost generational uh, defensive end talent. No, they haven't. His fifth-year option hasn't been taken up. Jeff Akuda, the Lions picked him up third overall, already been traded to the Falcons. And so his uh, fifth-year option is ineligible now. Andrew Thomas, yes, his fifth-round option has been taken up. Two as has as well. I mean, just sixth overall, Justin Herbert, that has too. Then when you start to get to the back end of a top 10, Isaiah Simmons, 8th overall, no. CJ Henderson, ninth overall, no. Mickey Beckton, he's had his issues. I know some of the injuries you can't really help, but 11th pick overall, no. Tristan Wirth's a pick after him, yeah, he was a yes. But you go 14th, 15th, Kinlaw hasn't been taken up. All those were kind of wide receivers who were so vaunted. Jalen Rager got picked in front of Justin Jefferson. And let's not forget, on draft day, all the talking heads, all the experts weren't like, you know, laughing in their chairs the same way that Rick Spillman was, who clearly thought that Jefferson was the better player. No, all the talking heads were saying about how Rager's so good, so strong, all of these kind of things, runs roots well. I think he's been with two teams since he's been with the Eagles who drafted him. He went to the Vikings. I'm not sure whether he'll be playing there next season either. Clavon Chasen, 
Dengue's fifth-year option taken. Kenneth Murray, no. Cesar Ruiz, a center. You know, I, that was allegedly a great pick for the Saints. Over half of the first-round class haven't had their fifth-year option uh, taken up. You get to the back end of the class. Jordan Brooks, no. Patrick Queen, no. Noah Igbenagin, no. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, no. Uh, there's so many. I'm not going to call them all whiffs because they're not all whiffs. But it just gives you an idea that, you know, first-rounders that, you know, on, on draft night, everyone's got a positive thing to say about them. There's no certainties. There's no certainties. And I might do a kind of more detailed look at the 2020 draft class later on, maybe in the summer when we're all a little bit bored, because it should really be looked at in more detail. But I think I just wanted to use that example, really, just to give an idea of everyone who says that they know someone's going to be a slam dunk never listen to them because they're a liar. Which then makes trades like we talked about with the Lions really interesting when you think, you know, if you've got someone who is just below that top tier are they worth trading away for you know you replace them with somebody from the draft but that could be a complete crapshoot you've just highlighted there first round 50 50 we're looking at roughly so it feels strange when teams have decent talent that aren't asking for the world from a kind of cap point of view that are then being traded away so that they can gamble again in the draft well, you hit the nail on the head right there, Chaz. The only reason you ever should do it is for cap reasons. Our teams will do it for other reasons. But basically, it is a case of uh, there's this very, very nice um, SUV here, and I've got some uh, car keys in a box here, a mystery box. You know, could be a Ferrari, could be a absolute banger. Do you want the lovely uh, SUV there, or do you want what's in the box? What's in the box, Joe? What's in the box? <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of teams are just finding that it's Gwyneth Paltrow's bloodied head uh, (laughs) rather than a decent player. But look, Sam Laporta might work out because, like I said, no one knows for sure. He could be great. He could be the next Kelsey. He could be, you know, absolute hands. He could be brilliant. But if he's not, then the Lions have given away quite a lot there with uh, TJ Hawkinson. Nice. All right then, Joe. Well, because we are a UK-based podcast, should we talk very briefly about the London Games this year or even the international series? Yes, so very interesting. So for the first time ever, uh, a team is going to be playing back-to-back games in the UK with the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not sure which weeks it is. Uh, It's normally in October, so probably be around week five, week six. We can check on that later. But yeah, Jaguars back-to-back, which I think is going to put a lot of strain on that team. It's not easy. You know, I fly for work. I travel to the US for work. And after three or four days, you just kind of want to get back home to your family and stuff, uh, if not before that. So to be in the UK for that long, away from friends and family, it's going to be quite testing for a lot of those players, I think. The fact that we've got this kind of back-to-back and the fact that it's Jacksonville as well, who are very popular over here in the UK, They're, they were basically London's team because they came every single year. Do you buy into the kind of rumour mill that's swirling at the moment that this might be the testing the waters of potentially a four-team European division in the NFL? No, I don't. I still question if that's ever really going to happen. I don't really believe it will happen. Maybe I'll be surprised one day. Maybe I'll be shocked one day. But just the logistics and the fact that you can build such a large fan base already without doing that, 
I don't think there will ever be a need for it. I think that it's something that kind of gets dangled and something that gets talked about and discussed and it gives people something to talk about. But I don't think we will get a permanent team over here because you'll have situations like this where teams, like you know, say they have to come over and play the London Jaguars and then the week after they have another game against Frankfurt, whoever they are. And teams get stuck in Europe for a couple of weeks and the players just won't like that. And then the players who actually play for these teams, they're not going to live in the UK and in Germany. You're really going to get, you know, 53, 54 US players to move out of the US with their families, pick up everything, coaches as well, and travel over and live in the UK and deal with our tax and all that kind of stuff. So if you're on a contract of 10 million in New York, Los Angeles, even in places like Vegas, it's very different to a 10 million contract in the UK. So there's just so many kind of technical, practical issues with it. I think that the NFL gets plenty out of what it's doing right now. It doesn't need to go and make a uh, you know European division over here. I think it likes people to think that it might. It likes it to be a possibility, but it's a possibility that's never going to happen. Yeah, I totally agree. I think fundamentally, you're, you're talking about different countries here, and that's where it all breaks down. I mean, can you imagine the scenario you get into where you're drafted, you're drafted into the Kansas City Chiefs, they want to trade you, and suddenly you're getting traded, what, to Germany, to London? Then you're going to get superstars that are going to start putting clauses in their contract where they say, you can't trade me to one of the European teams. So then there's going to be a massive dearth of talent in those European teams because all the big major players are going to start putting stipulations in their contract. And then we go back to what we had in the beginning where you've got this greatly inferior London teams and German teams who are always going to come bottom of every team that they play in the US and and then it becomes a joke of a spectacle and I think even the fans would prefer actually I'd rather my full force American team that I support come to my country so I can see them every once in a while versus creating my own team that plays in the league and ultimately we get all the crap players. Well, this is the beast that's been created now because I think that if you surveyed most of the American football fan base in Europe would they abandon their teams now? Like, I mean, you know, I'm a Vikings fan. And as much as I'd appreciate a team being over here and be grateful for it, be grateful, you know, for the league and owners for bringing that over, they'd always only be my second team yeah. at best. And I think that would be the case for basically every European fan. So you're not really going to get that really hardcore fan base. And then so people care less. Yeah, I agree. I think, as we've clearly highlighted there, there's way too many barriers to this being a reality. And I think the kind of rumour mill in the media need to pump the brakes on that one because I just feasibly don't think it happens. And in the off chance that it does, I think it ends up being an unmitigated disaster. So I'm all for carrying on the status quo. I'm delighted that we get the games that we do get. I think it's fantastic that Germany's starting to get a couple of extra games as well there because there's a big fan base for the NFL there. And at the moment, you know, everyone's enjoying it. Germans deserve it, yeah. Absolutely. So very quickly then, before we finish this podcast and take another big long break for the summer i just wanted to talk briefly about the changes that the nfl have made to the tv schedule in particular and the sort of power that they're starting to hand over to the networks we've heard for the first time that monday night football can now be flex scheduled which essentially means that if the networks who traditionally 
they get their matchups at the beginning of the year and that's fixed. It's now not the case anymore. And in weeks 12 to 17, ESPN and ABC are going to be allowed to flex games in and out of Monday night from their Sunday time slots if they think there's a more compelling matchup to showcase. Now, we've seen in this country, for anyone that are Premier League fans, the disruption that that can cause when Sky get involved and they decide they want to change a Saturday game to a Monday night football game or or a Sunday afternoon game. There's a lot of fans, and America's massive, right? So if you're traveling to an away game, for example, the flights you have to catch, the hotels you need to sort out to set yourself up for, and then we're giving the networks this power between weeks 12 and 17 to just suddenly go, oh yeah, that game was on Sunday, now it's on Monday. Or that game was on Monday, but we're pushing it back. That is bad for the fans, great for the networks and and the TV schedules. Personally, I think it's a, a move in the wrong direction for the NFL. I don't know if you have a view on it, Joe. Um, I'm probably not as decided as you are. And the reason, let me go through the week 12 to 17 schedule from last year. Dolphins at Jets, Seahawks at Cowboys, Patriots at Steelers, Chargers at Raiders, Saints at Rams, Jets at Browns. You had the Jets twice on Thursday nights last year. The majority of those games were meaningless games that had no impact on playoffs. The NFL wants to grow its fan base. It wants to create the best product for as many fans as possible. I totally agree with you, Charles, that for the fans who are attending, it's a pain in the butt. But I think if they get this done the right way and give as much notice as possible, I think ultimately it's going to make the product better. I really do. But better for who, just out of interest? Because from an internet... The wider fan base. The wider fan In base. In the US. And, and don't... Because this isn't better for the international fans. Primetime games are not good for people in the UK or Germany. So this is only good for US fans who aren't attending the game. I think they've missed the mark on that. I think US fans are still the majority, though. US fans still spend the most on NFL. They spend more than the European fan does. It's still an American sport. No, for sure. But you're you're annoying the diehard American fans and you're not creating any extra benefit for the international fans. So you're just sort of warming up this middle US base. Is that the smartest play? Yeah, but I think you've got to appreciate, Jazz. Why is the NFL so rich? Why is the league so rich? Why are the commanders worth $4.8 billion? Where is the majority, the majority of the money coming from? It's coming from television. And you want the best product for the ratings as possible. And the best product for ratings is seeing competitive teams playing competitive matches that matter. So I think this is an astute thing that almost had to be done. Like, you know, week 17 last year, Jets at Browns. Two teams who were both out of playoffs by that point. Irrelevant teams. That's your week 17 matchup over the holiday period. For, I think, fans who aren't in New York and aren't in Cleveland... It's kind of a hard sell if you've got something else on on a Thursday night. Yeah, I, I take that point. And I think we'll have to see how it plays out in terms of how much notice they give fans when the schedule changes and how much they play around with that schedule. Uh, look, I'm sure if it's a couple of games here and there and they give fans a couple of weeks 
to be able to change whatever plans they might have made, then maybe it won't have that big an impact and, and people will prefer it. I think it just depends how they're allowed to go about it. It splits into the Monday, which I feel is the kind of toughest part of it. Because people have work. People can, you know, travel back on a Sunday night and be ready for work on Monday morning. If you're a Pittsburgh fan and you've got to be in Baltimore on a Monday night, it makes it a little bit hard to get into work for Tuesday, let alone go to work on a Monday. So it's these kind of things which there needs to be notice. There needs to be notice. But I think that, you know, this late in the season, it should become a little bit clearer who the playoff teams are, who the fans want to see, who are going to get the highest ratings. But Chaz, I think you've got to go through the ratings. I just think you really do. And it's for the long-term future, you know, financial impetus behind the league. Well, look, higher ratings, higher caps. Green Bay certainly could use some of that extra money right about now. (laughs) (laughs) All higher caps mean is higher salaries. Yeah, true. (laughs) That's literally what it means. So yeah, Jazz, it's been an absolute pleasure to be back on the pod with you. Already itching for the season to start so we can do this every week. Absolutely. Or try to, or or try to with a uh, daughter each. Yeah, that's true. A couple of screaming kids, we'll see how we get on. And guess what, Charles? We managed to make it all the way through the pod without talking about the light sentence that Henry Ruggs III got for killing a woman and her dog. Oh, what a bombshell to end on. <laughs> uh, you also mentioned his name again in this podcast. He who, who who you swore never to name again. Yeah, yeah. Three to ten years. It's three nothing. to ten years. It's, honestly, it's... Um, He's got some good lawyers. That's what all that TV money buys you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, before we need to uh, engage our own lawyers, Joe, (laughs) let's (laughs) maybe nip this in the bud now. Uh, We'll be back around camp time where we'll be talking about how certain teams are fixing up, looking ahead to the schedules, maybe even get a guest on like we normally like to do at the beginning of the series. And as always, if there's anything that uh, anyone wants us to talk about on the show, any questions, any topics you'd want us to address... Uh, send them in yeah absolutely you can email us at playsheetpodcast at gmail.com brilliant looking forward to it charles speak to you soon